0: Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more,
1: please visit xsolla.pro/slash AOIAAS.
0: God of War Ragnarok and many other great titles from 2022 are nominated
1: at the 26th Annual Dice Awards. Tune in to see the winners in each category live on February 23rd at 8 p.m. Pacific Time on IGN.com.
0: And for the full list of nominees, visit interactive.org. Hey everybody, I'm Ted Price from Insomniac Games. On today's episode of The Game Maker's Notebook, I had a great conversation with Eric Williams. He's the game director for Santa Monica Studios' smash hit God of War Ragnarok. Now, Ragnarok has been appropriately lauded as one of the best games of this console generation so far. It has definitely become a must-play for anybody who loves action-adventures. During our talk, Eric explained what it was like to be handed the mantle for such a venerable franchise, and in doing so, he shared his philosophy as a leader for helping everybody stay pointed in the same direction. He talked about decisions that the team made in taking those first important steps on such a highly anticipated sequel, and we got to dive into the details around combat mechanics, character development, side quests, and much more. Please join us. Welcome, and, and by the way, congratulations on an absolutely brilliant game. I have had such a wonderful time playing it. And I, I'm proud to say that I platinumed it, which I never <laughs> do in games, And uh, but- Well, it, take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a feeling of accomplishment for sure. But it, it totally hooked me, and I know it's hooked millions of other PlayStation players. And I know also that a lot of people are very interested in how this game was made, but before we go there, I'd actually love to ask you a few questions about yourself, if that's okay.
1: Sure. And thank you so much, by the way, for, you know, one, having me on, and two, for spending the time with our game. I mean, I know you have a lot of busy things going on yourself, but to to spend, like, I don't know, would you take about 40 hours, maybe a little longer?
0: Oh, more than that, for sure. More than that,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: I actually spent a lot of the time over the uh, winter holiday uh, spending, uh, playing, and just, it it was what I looked forward to waking up every single day
1: was oh, just awesome.
0: diving into the game and i felt like i was continuing to just uncover more and more stuff that i could explore and that was a blast
1: it's so awesome to hear you say that about like waking up thinking about it because i remember like you know as a kid when you have you get that game for christmas or whatever it was like you'd go to bed thinking about it you wake up you jump back in if it was like a, especially those a good old uh, jrpgs and things like that um he, just, he was so engrossed in it and he had to go do what was next and things like that. So we really wanted to make sure the game had those kind of quality feelings that we had when we were young, when, when we played games. Well,
0: for you just for really pure fun, stuff. not just as
1: a developer, you know what I mean? <clears throat>
0: That's a good point. Well, let me let me ask you about that. So what games did you wake up excited to play when you were a kid?
1: Oh, man. I mean, like the first one, I mean, I grew up like right towards the tail end of Atari, you know, oh. like, like I was born in 77. so. But, like, Nintendo, the NES, like, that was, like, the first real console, like, you know, where all kind of the informative things happened. And, like, Legend of Zelda 1. I remember being in, like, Cub Scouts and the, the leader's house, like, where would we go? His son had Zelda, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it because I didn't have an NES yet. And we played there, like, as a group. It was, like, everybody's trying to figure out. Because, you know, there was nothing back then. It was, like, you bombed every pixel trying to find, like, the hidden thing, burned every bush. And, you know, when I finally got that game for myself, I remember being so engrossed. Playing it like <laughs> that, I w- it was getting called to the dinner table. Um, and I was, you know, like old school, like the kid just laying on the floor in my stomach playing. And I remember my dad came in and picked me up by my belt, and was like carrying me into, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like an airplane, like in my belt broke and I fell <laughs> face first on the ground, you know what I mean? It's such a wild moment, but it was like right after I found like the bow, like in you know, Zelda One. But it, those kind of games that just they were very powerful because, you know, like even me from the like, big being from the Midwest, it just felt like what you were as a kid you just go get lost in the woods you know but it was like a fantasy version so it was like real life imitated inside of a game and you could just get lost in that so i, I always appreciate games that have that kind of quality to them um but yeah it's just there's a lot of different games like i love mike tyson's punch out like on mm-hmm. nes because it was like it taught me about patterns and recognition and you know, you know doing a, a lot with a little there's only so many inputs in that game and Right. I think I did this for another thing. I told him, like, my top five NES games, but, like, Baseball Stars was this baseball game. But it had, like, a simulator aspect where you could, like, draft players and then, they like, grow them with stats. And it had an economy system. Like, you'd make money and you'd pay your players. And if they got too expensive, you know, you might have to, like, push them out. Then you have to bring new ones in. And It was just a weird game for the NES to even have things like that on it. Um, and then I loved River City Ransom because you could play with a friend co-op. But it was also, like, kids themed you know but they were like you beat kids up and get their lunch money which is like a bullying thing but it was part of the game mechanic because it made sense in the world that they were in and and then my i think my favorite you know castlevania of the old ones was you know uh simon's quest part two which was like the first like kind of like open world feeling version like i think it was the precursor to all the good ones in my opinion like simply the night and all the gba games. I know a lot of people like Dracula's Curse, like uh, Castlevania 3, because you Mm can switch characters and it's so deep in that regard. But I really like to kind of just wander around and and you didn't feel like you were on anybody else's clock, like get to the monster. Like you could just kind of take your time with it, which is another thing what I wanted to push into Ragnarok because I just wanted people to like, you didn't have to feel like you needed to speed run it or anything. It was just like, take your time with it. And the more you put into it, the more it'll give you back. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if you have a lot of time, then great. If you don't, it still tells a good story in that regard regard as well
0: oh that's great to hear you share your influences from your childhood and how they've influenced you as a designer today
1: yeah i mean so, your guys games like the the ratchet and clang is like one of my favorite series of all time like thanks i love those games. like part two with the proto pets like that moment when you come out and they'll rush out of the house and people are like scared and like i mean that's like top like it's moment ever in my opinion like it just you just don't see things like that approached in games anymore and you could just tell somebody was like this will be hilarious and it ties everything together and it makes you like and you watch it you know what i mean like almost like a like you're at a movie theater like watching that moment and happen and unfold and then you run into it as i don't know it always stuck with me and like a weird story on this is like when i came to santa monica for the first time i was just about to apply to insomniac it was it was one of these two places that was you know where I I wanted to be. I I love the games that were being made and and that kind of stuff. And I randomly met you at E3 one year, like we'll never remember this, but when I was like a kid and you were still young, you know what I mean? And uh, you demoed like Ratchet & Clank 1 upstairs at one of the Sony things. I was playing it with you and it was awesome. So it was just, it's kind of moments where you meet people and it's like, you don't realize like later what that might turn into, like we're having this conversation now. It's super wild to me.
0: It is, it is pretty crazy how many of us have been in the industry for a long, long time. And I, it's uh, w- what keeps you here in this industry? What what has made you grab it and not let go?
1: Oh man, that's, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, cause it wasn't like, it's weird. Cause I wrote this little book when I was in like, I don't know, like third or fourth grade. And it was like, you know what you want to be when you grow up. And the second to last page is like, I put video game designer. Now how I knew what that even was at that age is super crazy to me to You know, but I really wanted to be a fighter pilot and then i saw like um you know like desert storm and everything happened i was like oh well, i don't know if i really wanted to because you watched that unfold on tv and i was like that now it doesn't seem as interesting you know it's, it's top gun like top gun was like you know you're right, like, that was the thing and so for a long time it was just like a you know hobby and i played oh my gosh so much street fighter at the arcade like that was my my proving grounds like every day during the summer we go to the arcade and play street fighter and it was just connected to that world and I worked at a video game store all throughout um, high school, you know, and just played every game there. Like when nobody was in there, you were allowed to play games. So I'd like, I'd start like at NES, like alphabetical order just play everything, the Genesis and SNES. So I'd like pretty much encyclopedic knowledge of games up to PS1. And then PS1 <clears throat> came out and that's where we, were, we started playing all those there too. Um, and I was in like computer science and astronomy programs and stuff like that in college and it just never clicked with me. And I, you know, it's terrible to say, but I dropped out and I came to California to make video games. And I, I, I remember making my grandmother promise. I was like, look, like if it doesn't work out, I'll give it a year. I'll come back and I'll finish and you know, I'll go be a database programmer at a bank or insurance company or something like most people do in the Midwest. And, you know, but I was like in my back of my head was like, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to make this work. So I was very hungry and, you know, just put in way too many hours in those first couple of years. But because I was behind the curve, in my opinion, because I didn't, you know, there was no schools back then. And. I wasn't like a, in the modding community, which was a good way to get into the industry back then in you know, the early 2000s. Like, I'm sure you're aware of all that stuff. Um, so it was just grind, grind, grind. And, you know, I just slept on a sheet and a pillow in an apartment for like a year and, you know, just so you started to make a little bit of money and then you could be like, okay, I'm going to get a bed. Like that was the goal. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, so you, it wasn't like glamorous. Um, but uh, it was just super fun. And I'll never forget like the first thing they gave me to do was like I was working on an X-Men fighting game and they gave me Wolverine. That was like my first thing. Really? You, yeah, like and you're sitting there and he's staring at you in a you know T pose and then you get the idol and then and then the first time you push that button and that jab came out. I mean, that was like the magic. That was it. Like I was like, there's nothing else I want to do. Now, this,
0: were were you programming that. the gameplay at that point? Or or I was, designing the designer, so I was inside,
1: dude, a proprietary script language. <clears throat> Yeah, the uh, uh, it was at Paradox Development or Entertainment. Adult? I can't remember Development. That's what they were called. And they um, there was this awesome guy I met there. His name is uh, Ben Kutch, and uh, he uh, he's a programmer at um, Infinity War now and all the modern warfare's and stuff. He worked at NeverSoft and things like that. But he was like the design guy at the time, and uh, he taught me like everything. But then he wanted to be a programmer, so he just kept saying like, "Here, like you go do the design stuff now." And he started programming. So it was just a really cool like transition of handing off. So I kind of got bumped up really fast there because it was just by default. There was only so many designers at the company, but I, so that's where I met Corey. Hmm. He was there in the first day. I, I remember they were playing Marvel versus Capcom too. And I heard him banging on buttons and I was like, who are this? And I went over and I met him and like, this was like 2001. So, okay. you know, we, our partnership has been long and like very fruitful. <laughs> but yeah, I mean to keep, to answer your question, sorry, find me meander, just, hold me back. Cause I do this sometimes <laughs> random memory lane stuff, but uh yeah, it's just, it's fun. And you get to be a kid at work, you know, you have adult responsibilities like teams and people and time and money in this, but where else do you get to Be like, you know what, I'm going to research today and someone's going to pay me like all these Norse myths, you know, like it's, and then create them and make a move around, you know, or, or let me go read all these Wolverine comic books and like, this is what his move sh- set should be. And, how he's going to fight i mean it's just such a wild thing and you also you solve problems no one else is going to solve again or has really solved before even though like some problems in games are similar they're they're still unique you know the way that you solve locomotion and we do it's the mm-hmm. principles are the same but the finished product is very different you know the way that kratos moves or spider-man moves or ratchet moves they're all locomotion systems under the hood but the end result is either is it floaty is it hard is it you know like There's so many different ways to take it. So there's like a little bit of artist creativity in there. And I've always kind of had more of an engineering brain. So it was like where I could actually be creative because I can't paint. I can't draw. I can't play music. I can't do any of these things that I have a high appreciation for. But I can make these video games work. (laughs) And so I was hooked, you know.
0: That's – I love it. And you're right about our jobs. It's easy to forget sometimes that we're in in the business of making fun. Yeah. And with all, all the stress that is associated with that, though, ultimately results in a pretty amazing experience where we can build these worlds and characters for folks from nothing, as you said, right? Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool to have that magic hat on all the time. <laughs> Super cool. But you, but you mentioned Corey and your long relationship with him. And I, I want to yeah. jump forward to a few years ago. And what was it like for you accepting the mantle of leadership from Corey on <laughs> God of War? especially given that the franchise, it had been so successful and, and long lived.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't a short discussion. I'll say that, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do it at first. I was still consulting at the time, um, which I'd been doing for about 10, almost 11 years at that point in time. And I was having a good time. You know, client list was on top of the world. I was working with you guys. I was working with Santa Monica, I was working with a whole bunch of different teams. And a lot of people were calling and you know, but he was like, I'm tired. I need a break. You know, I trust you. It's time for you to do this. We, you know, it was, it was, I was always kind of like an assistant director when we would work together, you know, not like by title, but just by like what would be getting done and what he would trust me to do. And so I think it was just that we had built that up so much. And there was, you know, probably a little bit of nepotism because of that. Did you just trust that when you're, when you're with someone so long? And I um, think he was also just curious to see if I could do it. Because Corey being Corey, you know, he – he believes in you, but he'll also let you know that it still needs to be earned. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget. He said this to me and this isn't like throwing any shade at him or whatever. And I, I love him for this, these kind of conversations that we have, but he goes, you know, you can, we know you can direct. We just don't know if you're good at it. You know, and that's like a humbling thing to hear from someone who just put out something is considered one of the greatest games ever made. Yeah. And you're trying to, you know, Okay, like I can't let him down. I don't want to let the team down. I don't want to let the franchise down. I don't want to let the studio down. So it's almost like it's beyond me. It Does like like what I how I feel about it is, is irrelevant um, because there's so many other things at play, and that's what you have to kind of think about. It's you know there, there's a legacy there. You know you don't I don't want to let you know Dave Corey Stig Rue Dana you know Top Happy like all the guys that came before me. You, you want to make sure that you put a good one on the board. You know i've said this before and it's i wish i could show it to you right now but outside my office here there's a giant wall and there's huge plaques of the games i mean they're big like as tall as i am up on the wall and it's like there was a hole staring at me for the entire of the development like where the next one would go and it's like you know you stare at that and you see the legacy and you're like okay I, you have to yeah. take care of this you have to do the right thing so it's, it's almost beyond what i want to do or You know, it's, it's what needs to be done. And we wanted to tell this like a succinct duology where it was just like chapter one, chapter two, you know, open book, closed book, and that's it. And, you know, I, I didn't want it to be like his game and my game. I wanted it to be the North saga and Mm -hmm. it was respected from that point of view. And I think we did that. Um, I know some people will debate that, but that's how the world works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you certainly did. And I, I want to ask you about the, the director position itself are there rules and expectations for game directors at at Santa Monica or do you, does it evolve based on the person in that role?
1: I, they're, they kind of be pretty free. I mean, like if you mess up, they let you know, obviously, and there's always feedback loops and things like that, but I don't know if there are any rules. Um, you know, maybe maybe a better
0: way to ask this is what does a game director do specifically? Oh,
1: wow. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I had a struggle with that for quite some time. We had these one-on-one uh, sessions with the person that did your job before you. And so obviously hmm. Corey did mine. And again, not in his, you know, in his fun trolley way, they had these, you know, legal pads, write down a lot of advice for them and, and whatever. And he, he gave me mine and it just like said at the top, it was like game director. And then in quotes, it said everything. That <laughs> was, you know, it was, the rest of the page was blank and he wasn't wrong. And I already knew that, but it was also good to hear it that it, it's beyond, you know, because sometimes I can get lost and just get into the work and I'll just do the work. But, you, you know, it's like, but there's still people and then there's time and there's the budget and then there's, you know, the, the marketing side and then doing these type of things that you get out there and talk about the game. And, and you know, like I said, I, I try to shy away from that because I like the work to speak for itself and, and the team to be recognized for what they did and their accomplishments as well because it's, it's never one person. Obviously, you need someone at the top. Um, to drive the vision for sure. So I guess to answer your question more succinctly, I had thought about this a lot, and I, I kind of came up with this idea that is like you really have three jobs as a director, and it's kind of like you you create and hold the vision, and then you, you explore options and possibilities, and then make decisions. That's really all you do. And if you're not doing that, then something will go wrong. Now you have to do that across every department, every person. Um, but those are the things you're doing. Cause you okay. gotta like I, I think about it like this is like you're kinda like a lighthouse. And you know, it's it's a long road. So like, you know, there's gonna be storms and lighthouse is gonna get pelted by waves and sun is gonna bake and chip your paint away, you're gonna get struck by lightning, seagulls are gonna shit all over you. <laughs> and if you just keep turning that light, the ships will come home. And if they do, you know, you get magic and so you, you, you're going to take a lot more than most people do. And you got to have pretty thick skin. Um, because even your team at times is going to be like, well, I don't agree with you. And it's like, okay, I want to hear that out and listen to you and I respect your opinion. And sometimes I'm going to be like, well, we're going to go down this road. I know it's super dark and scary, but I see something you can't see. And for whatever reason, lackability on my part or lack of vision on your part or maybe something in the middle, we can't agree, but trust me, we're going to go down this road and now sometimes those do don't pan out as well and you have to kind of back pedal and be like hey man like i was wrong i'm sorry like you know that that had to be done then there's other times where magic happens where they're like i'm so glad you pushed for this or you didn't let that go because i, I didn't see how it's all going to connect and i think it's the tough thing about development is like you know you're in a department you kind of know this about the game and unless you really really actively seek out the entire game it's not really going to unfold to you until the last few months because then it's kind of finished because most people don't have the wherewithal to like play it when it's in its buggy state. You know, oh, it crashed again. Like three crashes, I'm out, I'm gonna go back to my work, you know? And it's it's tough. I yeah,
0: you're right. That's, a, that's actually a great observation about production. It is difficult to take the time and have the fortitude to play a game when things are unstable mm-hmm. and you see all of the problems, but it's part of what we have to do. And I really, really like your metaphor, the lighthouse. I've never heard that used before, but it's one that I hope people uh, embrace because it's certainly true for any creative leader or any leader.
1: I I sent Cam an email about the lighthouse when he was finished miles because I was like, dude, I I know how you feel right now. (laughs) Like it's like, just just hang in there. It's going to be okay. You know, because it's, it's tough. And I think that people think people don't talk about too much is like, once you, you you know, you probably understand this more than anybody because you're about the highest level, but it becomes harder to talk to people because it, they don't understand where you're coming from. You you have to have empathy for everything down, but it's like there's not a lot shared on the other way. And I'm not saying like, I need that. It's just that it's it's more of a foregone conclusion that that's not required. And yeah. so like you, there's fewer and fewer talk people you can talk to about these things are are difficult conversations to have. Um, and uh, it's not local to games. It's anything. If there's a hierarchy structure in, in place, it just you know, see and you see why people kind of check out when they get to the top because they can't. Either they can't tell people things because they're not allowed to, and they they if you knew this, you you wouldn't think like that. But I can't tell you know. And you just get in weird spots. And so I tried to be very open about that. I left um, office hours for the team hmm. um, twice a day for the entire project to come talk really? to you about whatever they wanted to. Oddly enough, not a lot of people took advantage of that, um, but there were a few, and there was a few that came many times. Um, so it was it worked out. I wish it would have connected a little bit more, but I do think I'm misunderstood that offer as well. I think some people were either intimidated by me because they didn't know me or maybe because I'm very blunt um, or forgot about it or they're just busy and, you know, like whatever comes up. So it was kind of like it was there. Some people used it. Some people didn't. Some people didn't know about it. We tried to reinforce that. But, you know, I think always offering some kind of solution helps, you know, with the team to stay together and and, and feel like we're in it together to win because that's – know work from home siloing is just i i I can't even fathom you know how we actually got it done if i if i was trying to like quantify it it just to me it's almost like black magic it's just keep after it because yeah well i
0: I, want to i want to dive into that in just a second about the the whole building a game while you're in the middle of a pandemic but one thing you mentioned is uh, uh really makes makes me think about your job as a leader to keep everybody moving in the same direction and you mentioned twice a day office hours which is a lot of time but were there other techniques that you used to ensure that you weren't having people who are say to breaking through the constraints of the creative pillars or 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 doing something that wasn't matching the vision for the game
1: so we we had early on when we we started a game we create this thing called an inspiration book it's about like roughly like anywhere from 60 to hundred pages of like what the game is going to be. And it's really raw and rough. Um, But to be honest, for 2018 and Ragnarok, both, I would say the game is 80% plus of what that book is. Maybe even 90% for Ragnarok. Um, Because it gives the team a little bit more understanding that it's like, okay, if they're willing to tell us all this right now, then we should also not be scared to show things when they're in a rough state. You know what I mean? And I think that's the danger of game development. A lot of people are like, well, when it's done, and it's like, Mm. well, I can't wait 18 months and trust that it's going to come and become this thing at that point in time. And so, like, I think we try to set the tone early that it's like, it's okay to show things in a rough state. Let's get the feedback. Let's, you know, go through the lumps and let's get it where it needs to be. So I think you have to set that tone early, like right out of the gate. So we do the inspiration book. But also we have these things in there we call them process shields and they have like a central goal. And then there's like three pillars that surround it that create this kind of shield. And we had them for different departments. Mainly we had one for the game and the game was a very simple one. Like at the center goal was character growth. Like everything in the game had to create some kind of character growth. And then that was surrounded by your your core pillars which were combat, exploration, and narrative. And so like any feature, idea, whatever, if it didn't lead to character, through one of those pathways and it didn't lead to character growth, then it was immediately kind of like sidelined. And we would discuss it later when we had more time. If it had something like that, it was easier to get it into the game. And then we had these across every department as well. So like for the um, art direction for the game was the core pillar was mythical realism. And then that was surrounded by classical fantasy, historical detail and Norse mythology. So if it couldn't come through one of those windows and hit that, then it would immediately kind of get bounced. And it protects the game against feature creep mm-hmm. and, you know, taste of the day and all these kind of things. And I'm very aware of that. And I, I, I mean, to the point where I don't play other games in the genre while I'm developing a game, like I don't want to even be influenced at all. I did break that because of the pandemic I had a little extra time on my hands. So I played ghost and, and T And Hades. Um, but um, everything else was like, I just put it in a pile for after when I'm done you know, kind of thing. Because I, as a director, you most definitely want to do that because once you do it, then everyone's going to do it and then utter chaos instead. <laughs> so, so we try to have these kind of things in place and, you know, we have them for animation, we have them for the combat team and or we'll have some, and we also like to work in shorthand. We have these like very small phrases, you know, like, so like when we are developing Spear, The phrase for the spear was beat the door down. Everything that spear did had to feel like you were like, you know, the SWAT team with the battering ram knocking a door down and breaking, you know, breaching and stuff like this. And so because that shorthand is easier for people to kind of remember, you know, and stay tight. Like even the studio culture, you know, used to be this big mission statement, all this. And, you know, now it's like our journey, your story. Very simple, very to the heart of over, you know, it has a together component and then a singular component. So it's like, yes, you can be who you want to be, but we all need to be this as one thing and it's four words. Right. And I think that's what people latch on to. They go, okay, I can believe in that. I can get behind that. I can remember it. I can say to people when we're in a rough spot, you know, um, try to like recalibrate so that we're not, you know, have an infighting. Cause it's, it is tough. You know, there's hundreds of people trying to do one thing to your point. You don't want them to walk off the range you want to give people room also to experiment and try new things, but also like, you know, I like to give people a box and then tell them to push against the box. I think when you give people too much room more times than not, they, they get paralyzed. You know, it's like, I, I remember a good writing exercise. They were like, if I give you the blank page, you'll sit there and stare at it. But if I write the first sentence or the last sentence, you'll fill in the rest. Yeah. So I could try to give people a little bit to work off of so that it's like, you know, and then they can push and be like, Hey, I, you know, I want to go down this road and and we kind of always have a rules. Like if, if you just do what's asked and then you want to do your version and pitch that, that's fine. But you gotta, you can't just not do the version that was asked because the people still be like questioning that. So it's like, if you don't believe in it, that's cool. Do it, do yours. And then if yours is better, well, okay, great. Moving on. Are there and any examples? The wins. I, I gotta
0: ask. I mean, it, I love that philosophy is, there, uh, and it, it's really helpful because yeah, blank sheet of paper is one of the scariest things imaginable. Yes. So, <laughs> Are there examples of, of times where you provided those constraints and you were challenged and you realized that, oh, well, the idea that's being presented is even better?
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they happen all over the place. I mean, that's the, the best part of working with amazing people is, like, you want that. Like, if I have the best ideas all day, like, we have a huge problem.
0: Well, I, I guess I want to be careful oh, not mean- to imply that you're telling everybody this is the way it should be. No, I'm, I'm oh, wondering, no, no. were there times where you were really surprised by just out of left field ideas that worked were were great were awesome and and
1: yeah, yeah like there's a really good one like so like early on there was the section in um midgard uh where you go to see the, the Norns and you're the whole path of getting there and we had it where it was like this really because they were kind of out there and it had fate and all this we had these ideas where it was like um i don't know how to describe it it was almost like they weren't like time travel, but they were like, you would see the past or the present and future. Cause that's kind of like what the norms are about. And you kind of mm-hmm. had to like route your way through and go back in this bit and forward and, and it got really heady and it was interesting. And it was kind of kooky, but the, the guy that took it over, he was like, Hey, I think we should just shore all this up and just make it about like what we normally do, which is good storytelling and do reductive, um, storytelling by pulling your partners away from you, like go in with all three of like Frey and maybe on the team and then just keep stripping them away till it's just Kratos hmm. and they have to face their own fears. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. So it's like, a, it's like almost like a riff on the Dagobah cave. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, but I was like, well, what is it going to be? And he's like, we're just going to fight. fights. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, that's so far away from what we talked about. And we have a lot of fighting already. But then we put it together and it was great and everyone loved it. And they were just like, yeah, it's awesome. They feel like steam valve moments while I'm just plowing through and the narrative's just being dumped onto you. And it's just this cacophony of like storytelling and combat simultaneously. And it turned out to be some of the stuff that like in the end, those got that level that when the playtest scores started to see that they shot up, like people really liked it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. So we were trying to do this weird isoteric kind of like, you know, heady thing with the Norns because that's how they were. And, we were missing the point of like, okay, like Curtis wants to smash and stuff when people are telling him <laughs> things he doesn't like to hear, you know what I mean? And it was like, in yeah. hindsight, it's like, yes, that's how we should have started it. Like, why were we trying to be faint fe- clever? You know what I mean? For no good reason. Yeah. So yeah, th- that's a really good one. Um, and hats off to the designers that, and environment artists and stuff that brought that to, to, to light, you know what I mean? Because then it, it told each character succinctly and you got to visit these little locations again that were callbacks as well. So it just had a lot of really interesting things that could be, you know, and it pushed, idea of how the no cut camera could work with those transitions as well because they're they're kind of you know and you look up and you're like whoa where am i now and it just everything came together it's like magic but uh
0: yeah yeah it's right it's, it's interesting you mentioned that it's interesting you mentioned the no cut camera there because you're right i i never thought about that but that was that's a pretty awesome achievement um for all those transitions it just it was seamless
1: uh, yeah but, i mean those were super fun to work on by the way like come especially this game knowing what we knew like how far we could push it yeah. obviously all this stuff with tech is they get extremely concerned. They're like, okay, well, like, okay, how fast is the load going to be? Is everything going to freak out when we warp? Like, is the lighting going to work? You know, like, yeah. and they were really worried. And those didn't come online, like, to the beautiful quality until the very, very end when everybody kind of clicked together. But it was all they needed was one, right? I think we had, like, 13 of them or 14. But once people saw one, they were like, yes. Like, this other one's going to be like that. And it just becomes a – like wins snowball into other wins at the end and you that for me because we've done so many games here and i've seen how this team finishes like the game is not very strong going into that last stretch because it's all over the place but i know how the team finishes so i'm just like yeah i just you just got to wait for it and keep cheering them on and keep plowing through stuff and then it starts to gel 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 and then you have all this stuff and it's just it's amazing but it it happens in a very small window I i think I wish we could give better people a better understanding what that window looks like in development, and how that can be the win or lose moment for the game. You know what I mean? Because it's it's very powerful to see what a bunch of people can do when they're, they have one goal and they all know what that goal is now. Um, whereas like when you're in pre-production, it's, it's too difficult. That's almost like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just let, let people loose and like get everything out of their system. And then you kind of solidify and then you go through the slog, right? The middle is just the worst because everyone's like, is this going to work? Like this is, when's it going to have art? This is, it's been great forever. You know what I mean? And then you finally get to the end and everybody goes, oh crap, it's going to be good. And then they more and more and more, but now you're running out of time. So that's where the, the trick comes in, right? Because you're like, damn, like I want to do this. And it's like, yeah, we can't, we, you know, right. And then somehow magically overnight it gets done. And then you're like, oh, you shouldn't have stayed, you know, but they're like, I want to, you know, and then you get into that dilemma, like I think you're, I time. think you're,
0: I'm sure a, a lot of developers who are listening right now are nodding and saying, yeah, those, I recognize those phases because probably for any creative endeavor, you go through those phases where mm-hmm. it is unformed and forming. And then finally you can see it, but, and I love the fact that you brought up the, that one polished instance that where everybody can look at it and go, okay, I get it. I get where the game's going. I get how the other 12 instances will be great. Uh, it's, I think, I don't know about you all, but I know we are a show me company where people (laughs) want to see so they can gain confidence, but, and and not to go on wax too much (laughs) on this, but I think there's a lot of faith involved in development too. We all have to have faith that there is a vision. We are all sharing the vision and it is going to be great. But man, you got to jump over a whole bunch of chasms to get there. Sometimes, right?
1: Yeah, and it's like, and people are their own worst enemies. And I, I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just like how you're wired. It's like the doubt creeps in, and it, yeah. it is crippling, you know. And some people can just be like, "Doesn't matter." Like I, you know, all they see is the end goal, and they can just they just keep doing that. Um, and then there's other people that there's like. It, uh, like a handcuffs them almost and you got to be like okay like what how do i get you out of this how do i get you back on the horse you know what i mean and it's it, like all think, the problems are people problems at the end of the day right because it's like we are required to finish this together and it's just trying to make sure everybody's standing on the right i shouldn't say the right but the same side of the fence you know what i mean looking at the problem together sure. not across the divide like that's that's the scariest thing in game development, where the, we all see what the problem is, but there's a bunch of people over here and a bunch of people over here. It's like, no, 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 we need to all be on one side to, to tackle this thing. And,
0: you know, True, it's, and it's and hard that is, like to get that alignment. I mean, as a leader, right, as a creative leader, that is the probably the thing that is most important. But I'll, but I'll tell you one one thing that occurs to me as you're as you're describing something that we all, I think we all go through is that. In general, we're, we're always trying something new, and you alluded to this, I think, at the very beginning. You're, you're, you're treading into new or, or wandering into new territory, trying things that haven't been done before. So it's that's that kind of complicates the issue because if we were all if we were all repeating the same things that we had been doing ten years ago, and you know, it seems like it it's a lot easier to imagine what the finish line looks like.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like that to me would be boring. <laughs> I think uh, wait, it it
0: mean
1: <laughs> of course but I it, it leads
0: me to sort of a, 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 a another kind of set of questions for you around making a sequel okay and I think that for making making a sequel to a game that scored a Metacritic 94 uh, you you must have a, a certain mindset going into it what what do you how do you prep for that how does the team get ready to sort of dive in to this? Um, Epic continuation of it, of a, a much loved franchise.
1: It is difficult for reasons that I don't think most people will appreciate unless you've gone through it. Which is, you're a victim of your own success. Um, you know, there's like three things that come to mind really quickly before we even get to the nuts and bolts of like how you prep the team. Is, which is one is everybody's on cloud nine mm. and nobody wants to go back to work. there's like this is awesome you know what i mean and because of the timing of when 2018 came out was like in spring like in april and there was like all this like okay they're darlings in the industry all that kind of stuff goes on through but the award season's not until the end of the year but we're already supposed to be working on the new game but then people are still like here and you get to be game of the year (laughs) just wants to do victory laps (laughs) so trying to get them to be like hey let's make a game again they're like ah we did that you know what i mean and so that part in itself was hard just to get the team to want to come back and you know and they were tired yeah that game was mm. not easy to make i mean no game is easy to make but i mean that in particular like there was a lot riding on that right studio had a cancellation you know will this work it's a totally reinvention it was that was a gamble on a gamble so that part that was like part 1 and then it was like okay new director like ah uh, like is this going to work like we just had Corey. why are we, why are we messing with success I took that. I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the point you should have to prove yourself just because you've done it doesn't mean you can do it at the highest level. You have to prove that. So that one I was okay with. And then the last one was just, you know, the postmortems come in and once the postmortem happens, it's like it, even if you do really well, it looks like you did terrible. (laughs) Um, Because it's mostly focused on like what we need to fix. Um, And then, and you have to be careful even in that postmortem because you have, most people f- worry about that, but they don't talk about the things that went right. And then you can actually lose the things that went right because nobody's talking about, they're only talking about things that went wrong. So it's like, I always like postmortems to be plus one minus one, right? Mm. Like, it's like, if you want to say like five things went wrong, we well, have to say five things went right so that we don't lose those as well. Uh, now that's not always shared opinion, <laughs> but that's how I like to do them. Cause I don't like to throw away gold uh, that happens sometimes when you when you go to a sequel. Second part is now that you got the team kind of like, okay, like they're back and they want to make something. You have to convince them that this is the way to do it. Um, that is a little bit more difficult. I've gone through two God of War sequels. I went through um, God of War 2 and I went through Ghost of Sparta at two different companies on the franchise. But the formula for doing it was very similar to success mm-hmm. because both the sequels are successful. And it was like add in the right places You know, create new in a few places and then push variety so that the player never gets, you know, bored, if you will, or feelings feel repetitive. So anything that felt repetitive in the first game, you have to attack that immediately. So like enemy variety was called out as one of the problems of 2018. So that was like the first task. Go in, figure out exactly how many monsters we could have. Um, And then even ways to push that number by doing creative things behind the scenes for with the designers and the animators and then the scope of it obviously needs to be bigger. Now, how big is always the question. Hmm. And, you know, I was trying to like put it within a box of like, okay, most people probably took about 20 hours. And then there was maybe 10 hours of XPL. So how do we like 1.5 that to some degree where the team can eat? It? And, you know, a lot of people were just like, dude, we don't need to do all this. And I was like, I know you think that but I've been through this and if we did these things on these other ones and that just treaded water if we don't do this we will most definitely not be able to reach the standard of the last game by any stretch of the imagination but that's like more of like it sounds like an opinion but it's more of a very informed understanding of what the sequels were in the past and not everybody's had that luxury of working on all this like I have this unique perspective because I worked on all the different God of War games in some capacity or another. So I've seen how they were made and I I try to pull what works out of there. I also try to have a lot of faith in the team. Like I know like how hard it was to get Kratos up and running, but I know now that they're polished in that and they understand it, it's easier to get more characters up and running. So that's why we push for more companions and playable Atreus and these kind of things. And everyone still looked at me like I was crazy. And and with Total, I understand that. I, I probably was crazy but I thought these were going to be the things that were going to move the needle forward. So it's a little bit of guesswork, a lot of educated, like understanding of, you know, and looking at landscape of sequels. Um, could we have went smaller in some areas? Maybe. Could we have one bigger in some areas? Maybe. But I mean, that's the world. It's unknown. You just kind of say like you plant your flag, like this is what it's going to be and try to align everybody as best as possible. And I made a shit ton of mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong you know what i mean we, we probably could have scoped a couple things earlier um you know could have thought about problems differently could probably learned about the way some things were done um within certain groups better for efficiency sake um there's so many things i messed up you know but at the same time we did a lot of things right because you can't get to that success without having a lot of things go right as well um so it's it's a hard thing to answer because I mean it's like it's more for the team to answer. I'd rather the team answer that question than me because I have my like I'm gonna do this no matter what. You know I save nothing for the way back. I'm all in when I when I decide I'm gonna do a game and yeah that's not something I would want the team that fully embrace. But I at least want them to understand where that's coming from because you know it, for for me on a like personal philosophy level it's like you get this much time on the planet it's like I want to do what I want to do and. <laughs> I don't want anything to get in the way of that. So I have a very high standard. I'm very demanding. And I know that didn't always, you know, completely mesh with what the team wanted or what they felt.
0: Well, I, yeah, I mean, what's interesting, I mean, you mentioned the size of the team too. You have hundreds of people working on the project. So everybody's different. And I, I totally get the, the challenge there, especially when your job is to, and we're talking about sequels here, establish the balance between the yeah. old and the new. And I, I got to say that as a player, I really appreciated that balance in the game. I felt that there were enough things to to lean on that I felt I remembered from 2018. Mechanics felt familiar, but you definitely stretched me as a player in terms of combat in particular with some of the, with the addition of the spear and some of the skill trees that had you know, changed or skills that I could mm-hmm. focus on a little bit more. So I... Anyway, I, I, I commiserate, and I know it's a tricky <laughs> question to answer. I will say as a somebody who is involved in game development, I'm always looking for that formula. Is it 50% old, 50% new? Is it 20%? Yeah. And I know we at Insomniac have also uh, moved that needle around a lot to try to find the right balance. And as you said, it's it's a feel thing.
1: Yeah, and it, it's I, t- I talk about it a lot in this idea of like there's – there's leaps and steps, you know what I mean? So you have to decide where you're gonna take leaps and where you're gonna take steps and how many steps are you gonna take? And I think gamers want everything to be a leap all the time and it's that's not how it works. Like, nothing right. works like that. I mean, look like at like amazing product design over the years. I mean, the Porsche 911 has been the same car since like the 60s, you know what I mean? They just keep iterating on it and making it better and better and better. Like they don't, they never really take a leap, they just keep taking the next iterative step. But then they made a new car. They made like the Cayman, and like that was a leap, but in a different way. And then that car is like catching up, where it. it's almost as good as the 911. And so like you, you can see this across many different industries. And I, I look at cars a lot because I think cars, cars like such an ubiquitous thing that people take for granted, right? But it's like it's absolutely insane that cars work. It's like there's a gajillion moving parts. You use it every day. Like there's other people in them that can ruin your car in any instance if they crash into you. It's like just in general, it's just a wild concept that like, people take it for granted. Um, and then car companies themselves, like how much work is put into making sure that all of that works, you know, for a hundred thousand miles and doesn't break down and all these kind of things. And so I watched this really, really good documentary on Nissan one time and they have the, the, the floor, you know, where they're building the cars and like every seventh car is the GTR, which is like their halo race car that's available to the public, but they stop the robot line and then humans get up and they do the work on the GTR. Like in the, the engines are assembled by hand by like they, they put their names on the plates of the engine. Like they're almost like these like samurai warriors of like engine development and they build these engines for this car. But it's amazing that the robot factory and the handcrafted can go simultaneously. And that's what stuck with me is like you have to figure out what should be made by robots and what should be made by people. Because we have people on our team, but then we have tools and automation and all these kind of things. So you have to, what can we automate well, what should still be handcrafted? And we're bad here. We'd love to handcraft stuff, you know, way more than, than we should. And it's part of like, I like that. I just like handcrafted things in general. So I like our game to be very bespoke and I know it's painful for the team. So we have to be better about certain things. So that's another thing that we looked at for the sequel. Okay. What can we try to automate more of that was pain points and what can we still have handcrafted where people actually really enjoy that work? You know what I mean? And, Even down to this simple thing, like where it's like, sure, you could automate all of the haptic feedback through audio and all those kind of things. But for a lot of the combat, we still hand scripted it because we wanted it to be Mm. frame accurate the way we wanted it to be as the combat team and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of moves. So that's very time consuming. And then if you wanted to work on PS4 and PS5, you got to do a DualShock pass and you got to do a haptic. You know what I mean? It just spirals out of control really quickly. So, I, it's always stuck with me though. It's like, okay, what can we automate, and why should it be automated? And then, we should we should still leave the people to handcraft so that you have that feeling of like this is made sturdy forever? It's going to work. It's going to be you know good for me as a player. So, yeah, sorry. Way uh, off no, time, it's, <laughs>
0: it's, Well, you're talking about combat as well, which is another strong interest of mine. And I, you mentioned you hand scripted all your combat sequences, so that's incredible.
1: Well, not all of it. I mean, it's like, but most of it, like putting the moves together, that has always been the way here. Like you sit with the animator. I mean, back in the day, because we like the combat to have like a rhythmic quality to it on the buttons. Mm -hmm. And when we would talk to the animators, you would just bang out on the desk the rhythm that you wanted. Like you would just be like, I want it to be like, and then we go, okay. And then we go block it out with that rhythm in mind. And then you put it on buttons, and you'd be like, okay, that's close. What, do we, what is this? Now we'd look at the frames. Okay, what's the startup? What's the impact? What's the recovery? Okay, let's go in. And then, you know, back then they keyframed everything, so then they would just animate to that. When we get the motion capture back now, we we just, similarly we kind of know what the numbers are over the years, and like we start to build that, and then you kind of slide stuff around. The animators will adjust it so we get that rhythmic quality. And I think that's one of the special things about our game is it does feel like that. Like you you never feel like you're just clacking through, like even you start to feel these or hear these patterns and feel them in the rumble and all this kind of stuff. And it just feels really, really, really good. Um, But I think that's kind of like our secret sauce that's been developed over 20 years because some of the people are still here from like God of War 2, like a lot of the animators, like Bruno and James Che, Sean Gilly, Tommy Ho, um, and then some of the designers have been around for a long time too. So they just know what good feels like for Kratos. Um, and then we have like a rule sheet about him and everything else. And then, so when we were going to Atreus, we had all these learnings. We knew like how fast the dog should be and like how far it should go, but we didn't want him to feel just like Kratos. So we were like, but don't have him roll, like have him be a kid where he can stay on his feet and move and be very athletic and nimble and speed it up just a little bit for him. And, you know, these kind of things. And it, again, it just comes from like years and years and years of doing it. And you kind of just know what good, feels like and looks like and like some of the animators are like blown away because sometimes I'll be like, Oh, that's like 47 frames. Right. And they're like, it's 51. How did you know it was even that close? Like it's just, I've looked at frames. So, you know, and it moves so many times you can kind of get a sense of what is going to work. And, or I'd be like, Oh, just move it to 12 instead of 15. And it'll feel fine. And Mm -hmm. like, look at you weird. And then they go do it and they're like, how did you know? Like that was it. And so, and then we have, you know, seven, eight combat designers that are like that mindset. They play fighting games all the time. Like that's all they they live, eat, and breathe that stuff. So they they're just dialed in. Um, and that goes for every department on the team. They've they've been built like that over time. They have these like, you know, lightning rod people in there, if you will, mm-hmm. that just kind of like spread that knowledge. It's getting harder as the teams get bigger and are siloing uh, uh, and work from home. It's, the knowledge share is I think the hardest thing to maintain. And I think if I had one concern about just game development in general moving forward is that. It's more shared than it's ever been, but in a weird way, it gets lost because people aren't, you don't have as many inner office interactions or just random lunch conversations or like on your way out at night, somebody's playing Smash Brothers and you sit down and play with them for like a half hour. Like everything has to be coordinated and organized and planned now for that to happen. And we all know how that goes. You know, randomly calling somebody up at the last minute, and be like, yo, are you busy? Let's go eat. But if you try to plan it, usually it falls apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
0: a little bit more difficult now, I imagine, since there are so many people in our industry who are remote, right? And I, yeah. you know, I mentioned before we get, we I'd ask you a question about what it's like developing in the pandemic. Have have now that we're arguably in a post-pandemic phase, how have things changed for for you, for the studio, for the team?
1: <laughs> for me, um, I came to the studio every day during the pandemic. I got mm. the, the special okay, um, and I just locked myself in this room. Um, because I was wor- I was basically working from home for like eleven years, and I was like, man, I can't go back to that garage. You <laughs> know, like, plus I wanted to be here because the internet was much faster, and I could get through everything locally on the drives a lot quicker um, and concentrate all day long. So I, I, you know, for me personally, I have a very odd take on that. Getting used to like even this, I was so used to doing everything in person. I wasn't like a make a phone call person. I'd be like, where are you? I'll just come talk to you. And so like trying to learn how to talk to people over this and read body language even more or just look at an icon and hear it in their voice, like what, how they're feeling. I mean, those skills, I'm very bad at them, you know, and I'm trying to be better every day. And I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with, like how to connect or not perceiving when maybe something was misunderstood or not meant to be harmful, but maybe they took it that way. Yeah. Um, It's, uh, it's tough and, you know, but it's, it's also super good at the same time. Like, I'm not mad at it. Like, people that had to commute an hour now get two hours a day, you know, 10 hours a week with their kids. Hell yeah. How could you possibly say that's a bad thing? There's no world where that's a bad thing. Or, or if you have other you know people I have to take care of, like maybe somebody elderly in your family or whatever, like responsibilities you have outside of work, then you get all that time back. More power. It's awesome. As long as we can get the work done and it's at the same quality, I don't have any issues with this at all moving forward. I think it just... Is going to take still some learning, you know, like, like again, the, the soft skills stuff in virtual versus in person is very different. Yeah. And I think it, they're already hard to do. Like how many people, you know, are like really good at soft skills. Like I don't, I can count them on one hand. So like expecting everybody all of a sudden to have super good soft skills virtually is, <laughs> it's just the a recipe for disaster to be honest, but we just struggle through it and, and you, you can learn things. And the studio had helped a lot with that, you know, um, trying to get people to talk more and encouraging things. And when we could have something in person for people to connect and have at least that bond, you know, the eye contract, if you will, um, like uh, those were helpful as well. But yeah, we're, we're in right now with that.
0: Well, I mean, I think your, your point about soft skills is great, especially when it comes to subjective matter, like story, for example, or game mechanics, all those things where there's no right answer. There's just, they're just opinions and you're trying to reach consensus, right, or help help people move in the same direction. So I, I agree; it's it's much more difficult like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I would want to pick your brain on like what you guys are doing to help along with that because that's one of the beauties of Sony is like you get to connect with all the first party teams and, and, and help each other, you know, stay sharp. And the
0: connections, I, you know, I just not to go too far off field on this on this topic, but we've actually found that it has been easier to make connections because prior to the pandemic the default was usually hey we'll go visit an office and for us because we're we have one office in la and one office in durham that Mm -hmm. would mean naughty dog uh, santa monica studios maybe san diego as well but going to gorilla definitely a challenge going up to seattle Mm -hmm. to see sucker punch a challenge and now you know we will just open you know have a teams call or a zoom call and we're yep. talking to our peers immediately which is great so knowledge sharing has certainly blossomed as a result
1: yeah i think that part is it's is good the, the thing that we lost that we loved though was like so we <clears throat> particularly with gorilla we had this share program where we would like say okay let's do designer share this you know time for us and you guys do concept so what they'd do is they'd send like two concept artists from gorilla here for like a week and we'd send two designers to gorilla for a week and it wasn't like the hangout. You like sat with that group and you did work with them. You know what I mean? You saw how the sausage was made, so to speak, yeah. from another point. And then you would take all the good things and bad things. And then they would even at the end, they would kind of have like this. You know, actually, I want to say it was two weeks now. And people really miss that because they what they got from that was like, I don't you know, I really like it here, but I'm a little burnt out on what we're doing. And I don't want to quit to find out I loved it more here. So you get to go see this other company and how they worked. And then they come back, refreshing Like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do this. You know, and, and I, I learned some stuff and I'm also some stuff I never want to do. You know what I mean? So, but they didn't have to quit to find that out, which some people do. Sometimes they're like, oh, I'm just looking for something new. And then it's, it's three, six months later, you hear back from them. And they're like, hey, I want to come back. It's like, hey, we don't have a spot for you. And we had to fill your spot. And then, you know, that's, that's a bummer. You don't want that to happen. So. It's good and bad. Um, I think a mix in the future will be super helpful, you know. Yeah. And I I personally have I think have a greater connection to that because when I was consulting, you know, I saw like how 30 40 different studios operated over those 10 years and it would, that's like an invaluable set of experience to go do something or interact with a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Well, I to, to your point it's a different world. There are more options now for mm-hmm. that kind of sharing, that kind of visiting, even Working with other groups and not having to move or, or relocate is
1: yeah. great. Yeah, because you because you're not even in LA, right?
0: No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm in I'm in a different state. So, <laughs> but we are we have our team is spread out all across the country and in Canada as well. So we've
1: yeah, uh, same with done. us, and it, and it worked. I mean, obviously we delivered. I mean, I think the future is just like I think we're a little maybe worried about is like that game was stood up in the office and everybody had the shared vision before they went home and like now how do you get it when they're already at home like can can that be done because if that can be done then all the eggs are cracked and we're good right um but if you can't then that that's where and you won't know for for four years (laughs) 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 however long projects take hopefully not that long but you know i'm saying it's like that's the i guess the great unknown but i don't think we're scared of it we're just it's just unknown and you know how we are it's like pragmatic problem solvers it's like when there's an unknown it's it's on you can't erase it it's got to be on the board until it's proven one way or the other
0: <laughs> that is so true that is you're describing uh, every developer in the world so <laughs> yeah. that's wonderful i i you know one thing i i touched on briefly but i do want to get back to because i'm sure a lot of people are very interested in hearing about it is it's just your your dedication your team's dedication to story and 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 i mentioned the pandemic. You know, Given that we've had a lot of societal change over the last five years, maybe arguably more than certainly I can remember over the last 20 or 30 years, has that, that change and those shifts affected the stories for the God of War games?
1: Um, I, I mean, I can't say no, but I can't say yes to a high degree. I mean, again, we, our story was formed before the pandemic. Like we were all locked in on what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to give a little insight into this because I don't think a lot of people know about how we do this, but it's super powerful. So Matt Sofos and Rich Gaber are our narrative director and our lead writer. And so when we work out the story and we get to a good place with the first quarter of it, we do this thing called story time, which, um, you know, the mocap volume over here, right? Um so we take our entire team over there and we have them up on a stage and we take the lights down and there's a screen and we project concept art and they like act out Campfire Tales, the first quarter of the story, tell the whole team, everybody gets it in this big and they're, they're like, this is amazing. Right. And then we do that four times until we get the whole game from that. I think we did that over like a three or six month window. And it, the team was like, okay, well, I get exactly where we're getting. I hear the, you know, a little bit of the, they'll do a little acting on the voices and they're not great, but they're there to just give you a sense of what it's going to be. And the team really rallies behind those. You know, we, we even have like, remember in the like eighties, when people would come out of the movie theater and they'd have the camera on them and they'd be like, you know, two thumbs up or, you know, what'd you like <laughs> yeah. about back to the future? Like we'd even have reactions like that because you'd always kind of land on a cliffhanger, you know, like almost like TV. And, um, that, I think, was probably the most powerful tool that we had because we also recorded those. So when um, we had new hires, <laughs> let's see, um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic, we, they could just watch those. And I'll never forget this one person came onto the team, and they were like, I've been here for three days, and I read your inspiration book, and I watched Story Time and I talked to two people, and I know more about this game than I did the game I was working on for the last three years. Wow. And that was like where it was like, okay, this is different. This is a good onboarding tool, not just before what it was for to rally and align the team, but it's actually a good onboarding tool. So I think that was one of the things that made us successful with the story. And we also weren't afraid to share it because then you get feedback. People are like, well, what's going to happen with this character? Or I don't like this character. You know, we just wait. And then story time too they, Oh, I get it now. You know, because the shoot the other shoot and drop on the other side. So those things worked out really, really, really strongly. Um, but to your point about like, has, you know, the climate of the world, (laughs) if you will change it, it, it comes in for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the marking message that I wanted to really leave the players with and when we made the CG trailer was like, you're not alone. We wanted people to be like, like, we see you, you know, it sucks right now. You've been stuck. Like we, we are too. You're not alone in this. Like Kratos and Atreus have you this fall. Come play with us. We're going to take all that away. You can just have an escape. You know, and it was, we didn't, it wasn't explicit. It was just like, but people got it. Yeah. You know, like I need this game right now. You know, mm. years been rough. And it's like, you see people play that and they have that response. So those are the kind of things that more large messages as far as like agendas or opinions or politics. I try to keep that stuff out of it. Like we sure. have a story we want to tell and that's what we're trying to do. Now, I know that some people will say that's cowardly or you should use your platform or, or whatever the case may be, you know, we can disagree there because we were a continuation of what had happened in 2018. So you can't all of a sudden just course correct because everything is going on in the world. If we were a modern setting, maybe there's, you have to do more of that. Right. But because it's mythology, you can kind of, and it's not like to be like an ostrich and just put our head in the sand that we don't care about issues and topics. That's not it at all. It just has to fit with the story that we're telling. So, you know, we try to echo those things, but it was more of those, Always the way we're trying to, it's more like Aesop fables or like parables, you know, or things that can be learned, a lesson can be learned from. That's the kind of storytelling that we like with our characters. And I think there's a lot more there because people can interpret it for what they want it to be. It's, it's yeah. not like this is the way it has to be or this is right or this is wrong because that's, that's not really the it. way anything in the world works. There's always a gray area and that's where we love our characters to live so that you can think with them and you can make decisions and, you know, yeah,
0: well, that's, that's what you nailed. I, 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 I mean, you nailed a lot of stuff in this game, but for me as a player, you know, Odin in particular was one of those great, great characters where I felt he was so complex and so relatable in some ways uh, that you took a big step forward in terms of just making engrossing me and, and, and making him and, and Kratos as he evolved even more believable than I had seen before. These were, these felt like flesh and blood characters to me. And, uh, and I know that takes a lot of effort and a lot of experimentation on the story side, but you nailed it.
1: Yeah. I think that the trick there was that we never talked about heroes and villains. Mm. Like that wasn't part of, you know, the the words that we used, there was gods and mortals and the way that they perceived the world was very different. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, and the the gods usually have some amazing trait that makes them godly, but it was also their Achilles heel at the same time. You know, like particularly like Balder, Balder couldn't feel anything. So if you couldn't feel anything, you would drive you insane. Yeah, and that's what happened. And you know, Heimdall's ultra arrogant because he can see everything that's going to happen before it's going to happen. And like, if you could read everyone's minds or their intentions, because he doesn't read minds, like you you'd be grossed out by people. you know people on a daily basis are they do some despicable things at times and so if you were aware of that you'd be like i'm i'm good i'll just be over here being pompous and you know dropping wisecracks and things like that so they all had this thing that pulled them back and also gave them like you said like that humanity like if you know if you could think like that you know um it it helps you to almost like forgive the things they've done that are bad you know what we were always blown away by was like when people started to be like upset at thor dying yeah. And they're like, dude, he killed all the giants. Did you guys forget about that? You know, they're like, no, not Thor. And it was like, that's when you know you've done a good job because they, they care about this guy who literally murdered all the giants. Yeah. So, um, that's why we, again, we didn't speak in heroes and villains. You know, it was like, if you're on the screen, you're the star right now. And like, yeah. you need to carry it. And we like that mirroring of families and this idea of like, you know, the family you're born into is not always the family that loves you. And like you can also make bad choices with people outside of your family and your friends group that you think are your family and they're not. So, and then vice versa. And because everybody has that to one, they, there's it's like that four box and it's like everybody can sit in those quadrants in different ways and have different, and it lets everyone into the story in a unique way. But yet the story unfolds without any choice, but you have your own thoughts about the characters. Cause some people like love Odin. Some people hate him because no. they, they know that guy. They they're like, I had, that guy's been in my life. No. You get zero <laughs> passes, you know what I mean. Um, so uh, it's that's what I love when you see the discourse on the characters. Yeah, there's, there's never I, we don't want 100% agreement. You, know what you want that reactions, would, right? Fail. You want people,
0: yeah, you want people to feel polarized about it, and that, yeah. that means you've succeeded. I, well, well, well done on that. I, I thought yeah. they were and, and cool. the actors.
1: I mean, like we were blessed with such an awesome cast. Like yeah. some of the people we got, we never thought they were even going to return the phone call, and they did. So it was fantastic, and they everybody killed it. So that's yes,
0: <clears throat> Well, the game is so grand in scope and ambition. And I do want to ask just a couple final questions about that. Mm-hmm. And the amount, just for me as a player, the amount of tension that you placed on your side quests and, and the end game was incredible. And I felt like all of that content was almost, whoa, was indistinguishable from what I thought the golden path was. So how did you approach that from a production perspective?
1: So that was a um, very important thing to me um, because last game, the people that worked on the exploration spaces were very upset at times thinking like they were on the B team hmm. um, because it was like, well, you could skip their content. And they're like, well, if my stuff's not good enough that you have to play it, then I must not be a good developer. And we we're like, no, that's not what we're saying at all. It's like get that out of your head. Like So this time around, that had already kind of been squashed a little bit but the people that were involved were mostly the same people, and I was like, "Look, you're getting my attention right out of the gate. Like while we're setting up the story, these things can happen almost irrelevant of whatever ends up going on over there. And we're going to tell our own stories, and these are going to how they're going to work. And and we built this sheet that each realm, and then we've broken down like like there we have like classification names behind the scenes for each from like there's like you know fortresses and dungeons and." you know, zones and this, that, and the other, how many of those can you have per area? And they take up a footprint and this is what you get to work with. And then how many, like, how many cinematics are you guys allowed to have? How many of what we call GPMs, which are the little interactions between the characters, gameplay moments? Um, how many of those you're allowed to have? And then we just use that as like, okay, and start bucketing out each quest. And there was a few that I put my thumb on the scale where I was like, no, we're gonna blow a spectacle out like the whale and the half-goofas. And things like that, because I was like, this is new God of War, where you'll see something like that and you think you're going to fight it. But no, it's just there because it's part of the world. And it's like there are big creatures that you don't have to kill, like the Jormungandr set the scale for, or toned for that in the last game. So really what it came down to was just that. And that team really just carried the torch. And, you know, Luis Sanchez and Anthony Demento and a few other key people really just were like, OK, we're going to make this stuff like where you're like, you, if you skip this, you're silly
0: that's how good it
1: is. And that was, they just took it as a chip on the shoulder that they were going to do more with less, but still blow the player away. And um, I think that's really what it took at the end of the day. It was just like almost a competitive angle of like, we're okay. We're going to still do the thing. But then when everybody started to see how good it was, everybody wanted to help them. Yeah. And then it just, it just rose up even more, you know, and, and the writers really got behind it. They were like, wow, we can, we can mirror other things here. And if you see this, it's going to make that point nail in because you're not going to see it. But it's a washover effect of this other kind of storytelling. And again, we just used a lot of clones and mirrors in this side quest to, we call it exploration content because we don't like to call it side quest, but um, to, to allow that to happen. Um, and then we had like a pretty good formula for it where it was like play the main area, then the XBL space would open up. And then the only one that's a little off there is Midgard because it's all swirled together. Yeah. And so like it also created that variety where you're like, okay, like you play Svartlheim and then you can go off and do the bay. But the bay was a fork. So we let you, the first one you were like, oh, this is how the formula is going to be. I can either go forward or I can fork. And then the next two are like, no, play the zone. So you're eating up the story and then you can go off and explore and then you get the Midgard and it's happening all simultaneously. And then it kind of goes back to the play the zone, open up. So there was this variety aspect to it. And then there was the double backs. That would yes. happen where you redouble fork, right? You finish the zone, you're like, well, I could go here, but I could also go back to the desert. And then so that gives everybody options and they're just kind of scratching their head on like what they want to do, but they feel like they that's where the choice comes in. And then the fact that you could go to those places with Freya or Atreus and everything unfolds slightly differently in terms of the narrative we knew there was going to replay value there for people as well that where they'd be like, Oh man, I'm just, next time I'm not going to do any of it and wait. And, you know, so there was a lot of fun to be had there. Um, and then again, so that's where we, I think we took a couple steps. And then the creator was like the pet project of like, okay, could we make something that felt horizon ish open world and a small thing. So it was like actually an R and D project. Like if, you know, I was like, well, if we, if we can get this to work, we'll ship it. And, you know, and then it just, people got so invested in it. And then, um, Valkyrie was the co-dev on that. The Valkyrie Entertainment up in Seattle—they're yeah. awesome. This is the art team, so they worked with our um, internal design team and all that, and they just—they just kept pushing. I would go see it, and I was like, "Are you guys sure we can finish this?" And they're like, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> you know, and then you start seeing it, you're like, "Okay, I shouldn't have okayed this because this is going to go right up to the wire." But you know, it was awesome. You go in there and hunt dragons, you're doing all this crazy stuff, and and some people are like, "That's what I want God of War to be," and that's kind of what we wanted. We wanted to be like, "Hey, there's a taste of this." You know, and then other people like ah, I hope they don't go down that road. There's enough open world games, so it was, it's it's cool to be able to take some R and D and stuff and ship it, and then get some data as well. Um, but still put the effort in where it was like, no, this isn't just tacked on, you know? Because some we saw it. People called it out. They were like, this is wild that you can skip this. Like, who does this?
0: Yeah, I I will say that I I as I was playing it, uh, I was wondering the same thing, and. I didn't want to skip anything and I felt like every every part of the game was so well integrated that I felt I had, it, it was a place that I needed to go because it was worth exploring and it was worth the rewards that I was pulling out of those areas. So,
1: yeah. And it gets back to the idea, like I said, the, the more you give it, the more it will give you back Yeah, you know? and every systems like that, like the combat system for a lot of people, they barely scratch it. But if you get deep in there, oh my goodness, this stuff you can do, like it's wild. Like we see people change their controller configuration around to make certain things even more like, so they can do it faster and they can do really crazy stuff. There's some, some combat guys out there that just do some wild stuff that we knew about. And there's a couple things we didn't know about. And that's fun too, to watch that unfold where they're digging that deep that we're like, Oh wow, like that's crazy. You know, huh. Cause we didn't think to try this or that and the other thing. So yeah, we, we really love that idea. And then like you were talking about like for the post game, that was extremely important to me because if we were going to set up this idea that he's going to become the rebuilder, you can't just stop the game. So yeah. we had, it seems starting to do a little bit of that. And then in your mind, you project out how he gets to the golden statue. Do you know what I mean? But uh, that was, and to wrap up little epilogues here and there for the characters. And then, you know, when you get to the funeral, that was yeah. like the succinct, like, this is how we're going to end this.
0: And Sindri, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, won't, I, won't, I won't provide any spoilers, but what a great, unexpected... Oh yeah, I forgot. I should for have
1: been saying all that stuff. I mean, I'm,
0: uh, <laughs> Well, sorry. hopefully, people who know that who are listening know that they're, they should be yeah. playing the game. Uh <laughs> But one thing you mentioned, and I, I was talking to one of our designers yesterday, and we were both talking about Ragnarok and how cool it was that you, your, you and the team went through the extra effort of recording all uh, two sets of lines for Atreus and for Freya, because mm-hmm. as you just pointed out, you can go back and and play with either of them or you could have played a lot of the content with either of them so that's impressive that's a real love letter to fans in my opinion
1: yeah i mean to us it was like world building and it was like if we were going to give you these choices we couldn't hard lock them out the only the only quest in the game that you can't play as atreus is the freya um a wedding section because it's all about her yeah do you know what i mean it's like it'd be weird if he went there and did that stuff you know so that was the only one and we just made it a special mechanic where she could only open that door um but we wanted to and it was was also just respect her as a character we're like this is for her you know what i mean like this is part of her art and um that's it always starts with that like it's again the character growth like there's no character growth there for atreus why why let him go there then but for all the other ones it was like it goes back either way you start to see them change or mimir or kratos you know like, you know, again, with the spoilers, but I'm going to give it with the, you know, the, the one in the desert with the half-goofa, when Critus finally, you know, gets outed by Mimir, he's like, I just want to spend time with you. Yeah. And that was, people were like, that's the end of the quest. And we're like, you don't understand right now, but once you're playing the game and you see this loading up, people, that's going to crush certain people, hmm. particularly parents. You know what I mean? Because, you Don't ever want to tell your kid that you can't give them that much leverage, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you do want them to feel it. Um, yeah. and then in the post game, because like you were saying, like, um, you're with her, and a lot of people, like, if I would have known this, I would have, and that's exactly the feeling we wanted. Because as a parent, that's what you should feel is if I had more time, if I would have known this was going to happen, I would have spent more time with them. And we wanted you to hold that, you know what I mean, through the gameplay, just like if it's a small thing that people don't realize, but after the bad event happens. No one's at the shop for about a half hour. Like if you I, go to Any shop in the game, there's no shopkeeper. Didn't you can't realize. Upgrade,
0: yeah. Wow. can do
1: anything. And some people, they freak out in a play test. They were like, Oh my God, what am I going to do now? Like, well, how do I, I had all this stuff, you know what I mean? And they're, you know, and then it comes back online, but it's just, like, you know, we wanted people to feel it through the gameplay, <clears throat> the story through the gameplay. So, yeah. We, and that was a pain in the butt. It's a script. Every shop in the game, all these events to be off yeah and then when this happens turn them all back on and it just created bugs and all kinds of weird stuff but we you know we pushed through and and got it but it
0: makes it does make such a difference in terms of the how you feel about the game and how you feel like you are in it because you
1: feel like you're in there yeah 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 Yeah. that's what we go for all the time and that's how i feel like when i played spider-man you know what i mean like the first time even when it was real rough back in like i think it was like the winter of 2017 you know and i was like but there's some juice here like it's the pieces are almost here, and, and that's when like the the weapon wheel finally came back online, and all those pieces. And I was like, "Oh man, the, the Insomniac DNA is coming back into this game. This <laughs> is going to be special." You know what I mean? And it was it was such a cool moment to see it turn like that. Um, but uh, sorry, I'm not giving away your stuff. Oh no, it's <laughs> but, okay. I but I was there, it. so <laughs> you were
0: there. I appreciate yeah. you having been involved in helping us out, uh, which it was is about. nice. I mean, this is where we again. It's nice to. Be connected across the industry. There's so many of us in this industry who have just worked with other teams and have friends across the the development specter and we share things, and that's just one of the super cool things about it.
1: Yeah, and I, man, and it, I it takes a village. Like I
0: it does. Yeah.
1: I, I, I gotta say this because it's it's one of those things that drives me crazy about games when I, I see these comments like lazy devs or it's like, dude, games are super hard to make. I don't care. How many people you have, how much money you have, anything like that. It does. It's just their heart because everything can go wrong. And nobody knows. Anybody that says they know what's going to happen on day one till day 300 is crazy. No one knows. You just start and then you, you get a couple wins under your belt and you move from there. But, you know, the other thing that drives me nuts too is like just this constant comparison. Like only one game can be this or that. You know, it's just ridiculous. Like I love this quote, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And it's just like, we're getting this place now where you just constantly compare anything in the world to the other thing. And it's like, only one thing can exist. And it's like, super dangerous. You know, you want all games to be good because that means more people are playing games. Yeah. Which is exactly what we want. Because then it means we can make more games and we can take more risks. If you keep saying only this thing, it's actually going to be the opposite and crush the industry down. And then there's going to be this, you know, it's going to get monotonous and silly. So I I don't understand these.
0: these, I, I, I will say a change
1: that have been blowing for a couple of years
0: <laughs> it's okay I, I I feel like especially given how much access people have to how to develop games and the tool given the tools that are so freely available now what we're getting still is a lot of varied content big yes. and small uh, and that has continued to keep our industry really vibrant and so I I I probably ignore some of those statements that you see. And I focused instead on, Hey, what's the new cool thing coming out? Cause here are 10 games that have amazing things to offer that I, I, I need to play because they're, they're different. They're taking oh, yeah. a new mechanic and, and twisting it or an old mechanic and twisting it. Or, yeah, I mean like I just,
1: now that I'm back to playing games, like I, the, the varied stuff I've been able to play is, is totally to your point. And it's, but I see like the way they get kind of like reviewed or whatever. And that's the stuff that bothers me. It's like, yeah. Cause I think it puts a lot of people off of them that they shouldn't like you. Know. So like since Christmas, I, oh, I played like nine Castlevania games uh, cause yeah. I wanted to. And then I played stray. I, I tried the Ghostbusters new game that came out. I think it was like spirits unleashed or something. I just played this game blasphemous, which is like a hmm. Castlevania game made by I think this team in Spain, right? Awesome game. Had hmm. a blast with that. Um, played like a old, uh, a remake of like river city ransom, like called river city girls. Super fun. Um, just so many different games. Played that Call to the Lamb game, super awesome. Just like wide genres. Played some Dying Light too, because uh, I worked with Techland back in the day a little bit. Like it's just, that's what I love, that you can just find all these games and you can play so many different, you know, pixel art, super high res, photo reel, stylistic. And I, I think we should try to embrace a lot more of that because that's what really pushes the industry forward. Like all these different things, because it's all association, right? Like all the new ideas are everything, you learned on your way to making that new decision, right? So you have to have a wide taste.
0: I, well, so for those who may be listening to this and who are listening to what you're saying and saying, man, I wish I could be a part of that. I'm a player and I want to get in. What, what advice do you have for them?
1: Well, that's, You know what I used to say when I used to go to, I used to do some high school talks back in Ohio and and whatnot. And it was always early in the morning, you know, so the kids are like, who is this person, you know? And um, I would just go, I'm scared of every one of you sitting here today. And that would kind of pique their interest. And they'd be like, why? You know, I'd be like, because you all want to take my job. And you'd see two or three kids like lean forward in their seats. Like, yes, please tell me how to do that. I want to get out (laughs) of here. I want to go make video games for a living. I want to live in California. So I would say that just, you know, go try to take, what's yours, you know, like it's, it's only, you should never tell yourself no in life. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many other things that will do that for you. There's no reason (laughs) for you to tell yourself no, like go have somebody else, you know, like even if you're working on a team, like support somebody you may not agree with what they're doing, but just do it because you're gonna learn something from it. You're gonna be better for it. Like, did I like everything that David Javi told me to do back in the day? No, but he was the director. It's like, that's what you do, right? That's no shade of Dave, Dave had a ton of good ideas. Did I like everything Corey told me to do? No. You know what I mean? Like, I, like everything a client told me to do when I was consulting. No, but it's like, that's what they want, you do that. And if you have a better idea, show it to them. And if they want that, they'll do that. And I think that's the whole point is like, you just win people over by doing the work, you know? And, and, and you know, my opinion, be a little humble along the way. That would go a long way, um, you know, because no one knows. Nobody wants to hear somebody thinks they know everything. And also like experts, that's like a silly word to me. Like, why would you want an expert on your team? They, they, they know everything in the past. You know, i want pioneers i want people going into the like unknown and just be like yes let's go do that
0: i love that that is uh, is a wonderful statement and uh and thank you for sharing that advice i, I know a lot of people will probably appreciate it. Hope it works
1: for somebody <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and thank you for taking the time to be on today and and congratulations on a masterpiece
1: oh man thanks uh i don't know about that work but you know
0: that's how i felt when i played it so hey yeah.
1: I'll, I'll take it to i mean it's Coming from you, like somebody I respect with my whole heart, what you've done for the industry and the lineage Insomniac has had, man. it's. i played all your games. I love them all. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.